Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast Investorpreneur, where investors meet entrepreneur. Here we talk about everything investing, everything about entrepreneurism, everything about visions and alignment and about building a business. Today, I have the pleasure of having a guest, Tim Jones, on the show, sharing a lot of his experience about going from executive to startup entrepreneur. He's the CEO and co-founder of Tech, based in Hong Kong. My name is Peter Leung, and I know you guys all know a little bit about me already. I'm a global real estate investor, private equity and business investor as well. You've probably seen me in videos working with serial entrepreneurs and investors, talking about investing and building businesses and scaling them, perhaps even buying and selling these businesses. It's also my ability to take on these advisory roles to building, scaling, and replicating these businesses to its commercial valuation. So today, I've got the pleasure of having Tim going from executive to startup entrepreneur. He's got a lot of experience working with major companies like Aviva as the head of strategy of transformation, where he led teams in the financing roles from UK to Singapore and later to Hong Kong, where he currently resides and building the startup. So, you know, he, this is now his three-year mark of take, where he's now working on the platform to provide that financial services to the masses. Tim, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you very much. Great to be here. It is very cool because you've enlightened me. You've shared a lot about your vision, where things are at, and how you were able to build this business. So let me ask you this. Let's start off with this. Let everybody get to understand a little bit about why you went from a senior executive role where you were getting great pay, compensated well, moved around the company, had seen so much success in the corporate world from the UK to Singapore to Hong Kong to becoming a startup entrepreneur, even though it's in the same field. But why did you do that? And what were you thinking? Great. So yeah, th thank you very much. And the elephant in the room. So what prompted me to do this? Well, as you mentioned, like I I've had a number of roles across different businesses for Aviva. So worked with them in, in London, in Singapore, and in Hong Kong. And the, the prompt was just one very simple observation. Having worked in insurance around the rest of the world, insurance companies there, that they sold insurance products, which made complete sense. Here in Asia, and being exposed to different markets around Asia, insurance companies, they sell savings products, and that made much less sense. And so really, it was just the very simple observation that a direct savings and investment proposition was able to be created to meet that need directly rather than through an insurance savings proposition. There are a lot of reasons that then underpin that that I can kind of get into, but it was just that this, this glaringly simple opportunity that, that I felt I then had the means and the resources to then be able to tackle. And so felt compelled to give it a go. And yeah, I'm still cracking on, still working through it. That's great. Now, for those who are all around the world, right, listening to this podcast, and we have listeners all around the world, UK is one of the prime markets that listen to this podcast, as well as North America. So they may not be familiar with Cyberport and what facilities are supported in terms of your venture. So can you walk us a little bit through when you first started with this, the last three years has been, what have you found and what are the type of supports that you were also tapped into to grow your business to start? Yeah, sure. So Cyberport is, is an amazing facility here in Hong Kong. It's on the south side of the island and it looks out onto a, a gorgeous harbor. And so from the sort of the smog of London, it's a far cry to kind of think of this as a place of work. And so yeah, so it's a it's a government center that is the government-backed institution to drive startups. And it, it gives a place to work, so it provides rent and also a number of, of supports in terms of other sort of mentoring and, and resources. But we, we weren't always here. So actually, I started off 
as a sole founder of, of the business. And I started off by myself to begin with. So it's been a very big transition from that almost sort of lo lonely path to where we are now. And, and that was a huge amount of work. And the, the reason why I started off by myself was actually because I, I felt compelled by that really strong reason as to what this opportunity was. Um, and it was really that strategic rationale, having worked in London, in, in the UK, and understanding what had happened to the insurance market there and how that was different to here in Asia. When I, I started work, initially worked in strategy consulting for, for about four years and then moved house into the Aviva corporate strategy team. And quite soon after joining, I remember being in this meeting and, and one of the, the, the senior execs who was talking about the trends in the UK industry said for the first time, insurance sales were now less, insurance savings sales in the UK were, were now less than direct savings uh, direct savings investments in the UK. There was this, this sort of tipping point in the jaws. And that really stuck with me in the sense that there was this downward trend in insurance savings uh, and actually direct savings were, were driving that growth instead. When I then moved to Asia, there was the complete opposite. So insurance savings was was, was driving and, and really prominent because of the distribution that they kind of got their teeth in. But the same underlying factors that had led to that decline in the UK were really evident here in Asia, but just underneath the surface. And so knowing why and having worked in the industry for a long time to understand why those reasons were leading to the decline, it was just kicking the can down the road here. So I first started this business on a very strong strategic sort of motivation and then have sort of worked through the execution of that as I've gone along. And so that execution has has been tough to work through. Um, and we've been through a number of guises in terms of getting to where we're at now. And so I kind of sat in this really good facility here in, in Cyberport at, at the moment, but it's been a long journey to, to get here. And I think that sort of long journey is very similar no matter where you are around the rest of the world, that kind of ambition to do something. And then the, the sort of the long journey to, to then get there when people then ask you the, the nice questions about how you got into Cyberport. Very cool. So just a couple of lines on this, Tim, government funding. When you first built your business or start growing your business here, aside from having the vision and, and solving some of the problems that you want to solve in the world, how do you get the initial funding? Were you a startup funding from yourself? Was it a, a grind from raising from friends and family? Was it government grants? How did that process start? So a, a little bit of, of, of both slash all, all of the above, but in very definite phasing. So I was self-funded for a, for a long period of time. And I was in a position where I actually, I was thinking about this before get, getting on to sort of before coming on the show, I never really thought about it in terms of investopreneur, but actually I, I started this venture for exactly that reason. One of the, the factors that gave confidence on, on doing this business was as much from a personal investing point of view as, as the business itself. So like you say, I've worked in uh, in kind of senior roles in business in the corporate world for a while and uh, owned, owned the flat that I'd lived in in the UK and was looking to actually buy, sort of purchase another flat on a buy-to-let basis. And, and actually, it was that investment that I had that I thought, well, actually, I've got this great idea um, for what a business could be. And actually, from a personal investment diversification play, I think this is a, a, a compelling strategy from that point of view. I had the funds to be able to do it and felt uh, confident enough in the rationale and the chance of success to, in one way or another or then deploying that money in that basis so yeah so i i was self-funded for quite a long period of time and it was very tough to raise external money much tougher than i thought it was going to be when you're sitting in your role in a corporate sort of managing 
sort of big budgets. And like I say, I worked in strategy, I worked in transformation, which is just a fancy word for project management, but in the kind of the, the pot that I was responsible for in my last role, it was sort of in, in the tens of millions. But I, I sort of raised much, much less than that over a much longer period of time. And it's been a really hard graph when you're when you're actually getting it from people and money is is on the line. So yeah, so I put in a lot of money myself and then gone through that sort of seeds angel round. And that's where we're at now. That's fantastic. That is a story. So can you share with us this? When you went out there to raise capital, right? Like you say, there's been you know challenges in terms of how you did it to what you did to get some funding. What are some of the things that you found to be experiences from your part raising capital, right? How were you able to do it? Can you share with us some of those learning experiences? Yeah, sure. I, th- I think from my side, at least, it's all been about signals and People talk about businesses having to have traction to then raise money. Traction, again, it's just a signal. So it's not that you've kind of got X number of X amount of revenue that then gives confidence for the next investor. It's a tangible signal that you then got something that's replicable for future revenue. Similarly for us, now we're entering into a business that there are huge barriers to entry because of the fact of it being licensed. And so it's incredibly hard to break in and we've had to work out a strategy to overcome them. And I think the path that we've taken has just been a sort of ratchet effect of, of signals that have come up on themselves. So Cyberport has been incredibly helpful for that. So there's two stages of it. And we, we first got accepted into the, the initial round, which is called the microfund, which is the CCMF. And that was actually the signal that brought my co-founder on board. So I, I started as a sole founder and then really fortunately crossed paths with Lee, who's the CTO, and then being able to translate what, what products I, I, I've designed for this then into the technology. And that, that's been incredible. But uh, I think the signal that, that I achieved that gave him the confidence to come on board into this venture. And, and he also worked in a, uh, a very senior job as a CTO and quit that to, to jump on, on this board. The signal for him was that I had taken the company and we got accepted into Cyberport the first round. On the back of that, we then built the first prototype of, of the platform. And so it moved it from just a, here's a theoretical kind of Excel model into this is actually what it looks like in terms of technology. And that as a signal then got our licensing partner on board. And so we we signed a joint venture uh, with a company called WorldChamp Capital back end, uh, sorry, early last year, uh, so April last year. And the, the key thing for that, I think, was actually in the fact that we've been able to prove that we built the technology. So that was a signal for them. And, and they've been very supportive in, in helping us to then solve some of those barriers that I talked about before in terms of the licensing. So, so they are providing a lot of the, the, those licensing requirements. Then we then had the signal. We had, we had the tech, we had the license solution. And at that point, we were then able to raise external third-party investment, our, our seed round. We raised that at the uh, middle of last year. Uh, and that was really on the back of then the signal of, of having our license tied up. So for me, it's been a, a long journey and a number of these signals that then just sort of compounds on, on top of each other. That is very insightful, especially signal. So I'm going to remember that one. So Tim, pivoting to your direction now, what problem do you believe that your startup is solving? What is the core competency of your business here? So, so we're involved in, in wealth tech and, and, and wealth tech is it's barely 1% done. So we spend a lot of time speaking with people who think it's very crowded. There's lots of robo-advisors, there's zero commission stockbrokers. The concept of wealth tech has barely started. And by that, I think of wealth management as a service 
And that's very distinct from it being as a product. And so what, what's happened so far is lots of people have taken financial products and, and they've sold them via websites or via an app. So sort of via, via the internet. That's just selling product via a website. What we're doing is that we're taking the concept of wealth management and then we're digitalizing that service and we're then making that available to the mass market. So we're taking wealth management, we're making it affordable and we're making it accessible and we're making it fair. And that's not really being done in a, in a holistic way. And, and when I say that, it's not that it have, have been doing things similar. There's been a lot of very good stuff that has been very similar, but it's mostly on a product sales process. The concept of, when I say wealth management, I mean, the concept of create, creating an understanding of how to set a, a series of contributions that are variable into a plan. What are the life events that are different withdrawals from that plan? How do you add that all up together? How do you populate that with, with third-party investment products? How do you then manage those products on an ongoing basis in terms of corporate action, so dividend payments? Right. That's wealth management as a service, and that's what we're tackling. Okay, so I understand that's your direction, and, and you really inspired me when we first had a chance to chat specifically about your platform. So why do you believe that people need this? Why do you believe that there's a need, there's a requirement, and there's a desire that when your product comes to market, that it would be adopted? Yeah, and it comes back to that original rationale that I had for starting this business. And the learning from that withdrawal of insurance savings products in the UK, in the West, was that actually the world, it comes back to risk, the world is becoming increasing more, more complicated, more complex. The systems are, are much more difficult to manage. And so we're in this world where 20 years ago, there was a lot of institutional backstops that are guaranteeing risks for customers. So to, to take an example, when our parents had pensions, they had defined benefit pension. So the institution took on that risk of longevity. They took on a whole host of other risks and, and that institutional risk guaranteed that risk for the individual. The, the reason why insurance saving sales were plummeting in the UK is actually the, the regulator stepped in and brought in regulation to actually implement capital-based risk regimes. So to actually take account of that because actually it's, it's not possible for institutions to manage that risk for individuals on an ongoing basis now. So when, when we look at how the world sits now, institutions, whether they be governments, whether they be your employer, whether they be social security regimes or healthcare services, they're withdrawing. And so actually what we have as a superficial term of wealth management is actually the process to then for individuals to be able to accept that risk that is being rapidly withdrawn from the institutions that have previously provided it. Um, and so when I said I was compelled by this really strong strategic opportunity, it's that really. When you look at the level of government spending in the West. So if you look at the G7 nations, average government spending is about 43% of total GDP. And, and that represents these huge social systems, healthcare systems, old age care system protection, uh, and that role that governments play is providing that institutional backstop. Here in Asia, governments haven't played those similar roles, right? So government spending in, in Asia, it's down in the sort of 20s and the high teens. So sort of 12, 15, 20% at most. And so what you've got is you've got customers who, who will need to be able to bear risk, but don't have the systems to be able to do that. Now, superficially, that's just called wealth management, but wealth management is a very unique this, the deployment of that to rich people. And so what you're looking at is actually now what has typically been the provisor of, of, of the high net worth and a particular business model called wealth management is going to be 
hugely critical for the, the livelihood of everyday people for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And so that's what we're doing. We call it superficially wealth management, but it's playing the role that governments haven't been able to play because of the way that the world has evolved. You bring up a very interesting point because the way people save around the world is very different. And because of, like you say, government, or perhaps it's their saving habits or as way taxation works. And so from that standpoint, Tim, how did you identify that these people here in Asia are able to adopt your product? Like from you coming up with a vision going, okay, this is what I think will be required. How did you find your supporting evidence? What did you do as a startup entrepreneur to be able to identify, hey, this is how I'm going to solve that problem. This is what I believe is the problem. This is how I'm going to solve it. How did you determine that? What did you do a lot of surveys? Did you do focus groups? What is it that you were able to do to bring to, together your vision to an execution process? Part of it came from being in a part of the world that was left behind, basically. What gave me the impetus to start in the first place was these services were being provided by insurance companies here in this part of the world, but they were provided by direct-to-consumer wealth platforms in, in other parts of the world. So if you look at the US, so we, I drew a lot of inspiration from the development of wealth tech pro providers in other parts of the world and, and where we were with technology at that point. So yeah, com companies like Betterment, Wealthfront in, in the US, they, they, I think they're over 10 years old now, like uh, it was sort of in 2010, 11, 12, when they were founded. So they led the way in terms of showing that it was possible to create a direct-to-consumer wealth management platform. And, and, and I was then fortunate to be kind of in the wrong place at the right time in a sense that it's because Asia had for, for a number of reasons and it was having worked in the insurance industry that, that understood why that was that had been artificially left behind so what I then set about was was then thinking how can I actually create that system directly and ha having had the experience of my roles at Adaviva was able to understand that actually we, we were through the existing products like we were able to sell it to people basically over the age of 40, but not younger. And so there was this massive untapped opportunity for people who knew that they didn't want to pay the, the high commissions, the, the huge sales uh, commissions, upfront commissions, ongoing trailer fees. I knew that there must just be another way. And in fact, actually, so, so money just sits as, as money in the bank. And so that was how, how we started. And what we've done is that we've then, we've been building the, the product and iterating over time. And we've done a number of pilots. So we've got used direct user feedback. And we've also then held a number of customer focus groups, conversations with customers. I say it's con constantly changing as we go through now. We're still actually pre-launch for the, for the main product. And so we're looking to, to launch over the next th three to six months. Um, like we've signed that joint venture for our license and then we then need to kind of go in and now, now achieve it. And so, yeah, so it's that direct to consumer platform and then constant iteration with, with customer feedback. So you've had to do a lot of work to get to this point in years of undertaking, right? Of challenges that you had to overcome and now being able to bring this to market. How do you feel? I mean, like you must feel pretty good having done all the work leading up to this point, raising capital, proving out the concept, identifying the, the vision to this point. How is it that you're feeling and what are you feeling right now looking in the direction of your business in the next three, six, nine months? I'm feeling phenomenally excited about actually kind of finally getting it out there and yeah, I'd say it's, it's been a huge amount of work. I, ha I had a plan when I started. I had a certain amount of resources that uh, and time that I had for, the, for those resources. And it's sort of gone, gone, gone beyond that, that. And so, yeah, it's been a huge amount of work. And to get to where we are now is incredible. But yeah, like the reason why 
I've actually then been able to get to this point and actually it's very, very different to how my original sort of a plan was, which is always the outcome of plans. But it's, it's having been working with Lee, my co-founder, and then the other staff that have joined the, the business more recently. And I, I had this idea and the, the underlying rationale has remained very constant, but the manifestation of that has, has changed so many times. And that's through conversations with Lee, my, my co-founder, and, and with, with the other guys in the team. And pretty much every, maybe not every day, every week we have, we have a conversation that challenges something that, that we really thought was the answer. And it challenges it not in a way that knocks it down, but challenges it in a way that actually like takes it and makes it 10 times bigger. And so I'm, I'm very excited to, to finally get out to market what we've got in, in the tracks now. But I know that actually in the next three months, like what that is, will have been challenged another whatever it is, 10 times, uh, and we'll have taken it in a way that I think actually we can do something even more exciting. So that that's the thing that that I'm really excited about is that it gets thrashed around and, and gets gets better and better with, with every challenging question that we receive. Well, I mean, that that is the startup world, right? And as a matter of fact, you're able to maneuver so much faster than in, in a large organization where you come from, because there it's less bureaucracy, less, less tape, this is all about you getting on the ground and actually being able to implement, being able to solve the problems like many of us entrepreneurs have to do. But Tim, how is it that now from this standpoint, what is proprietary, right? I know this is a sneak peek and I know you can't say too much because there, there's so much on the line coming up forward, but can you give us a sneak peek as to the secret sauce of your startup here? Can you share a little bit with us, if at all possible, about what the secret sauce of this business is? Yeah, absolutely. So the secret sauce of the business is, is the technology and the ability to create what we've done in, in, in the time that we've done it. We've transformed what has typically been approached on a product basis and made it a service. And as far as I'm aware, I, I don't think anyone has, has done that before. So back in, in December last year, we then put in a patent application for, for that. So that technology is now patent pending. And we're going through the review process for that and that'll come in due course. But even notwithstanding the outcome of the patenting of it, like it's, it's, it's taken us, like I say, it's pretty much taken us th three years of, of daily iterations with me and Lee in, in order to, to create this. And the, the way we see it is that that's only one piece of what the business is, is, is doing. You've got to have the brand, you've got to have the, the distribution capability, you've got to have the customer acquisition funnel, you've got to then have the back office operations, you've got to have then the accounting system, you've, you've got to have the, the trade execution capability. And so the thing about our, our technology is that everything is proprietary. And, and, and your kind of your tech stack is, is like a chain that like it's, it's only as strong as the weakest link. So, so we started off by just trying to build the first bit. And then we then tried to link into existing vendors for some of the trade execution uh, capability, found out that they couldn't provide the flexibility that we wanted. So, so we had to then build that. That then actually turns out you've got to obviously account for all of this stuff and you've got to be able to make the numbers add up. So we spoke to all of the, the accounting vendor system providers and they couldn't do the flexibility that we wanted. So we had to, we had to build that too. You've got to do all of the reporting and all of that kind of aspect. So the technology, I say, is, is proprietary, it's unique, and it's getting better every day. And that really is our, our, our secret source and what gives me the confidence that we'll continue to make it better, faster than anyone else as, as we continue to move forward. That's very important. So how big is your team now? How did you scale? Who did you bring on at the very onset when you started to build the business? How did you, I mean, ultimately, 
a lot of entrepreneurs out there have faced a lot of challenges, not only in what you've already shared with us, but also in terms of scaling the business, starting to grow the business. When you start to see recruiting the CTO, which happens to be Lee with your, your co-founder, or even versions of people into your business, doing the accounting or doing the, the acquisitions, or perhaps even the technology to all these various different roles. Can you share with us how big your team is and what progress did you have to make in that? And what type of people are you looking to bring on as you're building your platform? Yeah, so we've remained very lean, which is we're saying small, I guess. And, and that's been quite helpful in a sense that we've been able to do things quickly and, and change and make decisions quickly. And so the, the total team size at, at the moment is four. And it's basically the four key people that, w- that we need right now to be doing what we're doing. So myself, the CEO and uh, financial product side of things, Lee, the CTO, who's then been building the, the platform. And then Stanley, who's our investment analyst and operations associate. Uh, and then Vanessa, who's our marketing executive. So those are the sort of the four bits that we started working with where we are in terms of the pre-launch. But what we've been able to do is then leverage the joint venture that we've had and the network and the resources that, 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 that we've actually then be, that we've brought in into that. And so I say we're entering into a licensed business, into, into a sort of licensed industry, rather than building that ourselves. We've obviously done that. We've done this joint venture with, with a, an existing firm. So, so with that, when you get a license, you need to have all of your responsible officers, the compliance, the settlement, all, all of that stuff. And so through that joint venture, we've been able to leverage those resources through that JV. Similarly, on, on the technology build, we've then been using an in-source outsourced uh, arrangement. So it's a, effectively an outsourced company from Vietnam where the developers, but they're still managed by ourselves directly. So, so Lee manages their resources on an FTE basis rather than on a delivery basis. So the way that we've got to where we're at is identifying a number of key roles that we actually need to have in-house and then leveraging the network and and arrangements and and ventures or uh, commercial agreements to then get other resources on a very flexible basis. That means that we can bring them in at the appropriate time for the business. So you've seen some of those challenges where you had to grow like every other entrepreneur. So in closing, here's what I want to find out. What would you have done differently? Is there anything that you would have altered? Is there something that you would have changed? You know, hindsight is 2020. What would you have done differently up to this point, now getting ready for launch in the coming few months? The hindsight is, a, is an amazing thing. I, I, I think it's been an incredibly long path. And so I, I definitely haven't done it 100% right by any means. I, I don't think I can necessarily identify that the bits that for certain stretched out that time that like I say my journey is quite unique in a sense that I started with a, a strategic vision rather than a kind of executable plan and so actually it's it, whether that's right or wrong I don't know I've often thought like should I have actually worked out a bit more before I made the leap out and so I, one of the things I, I thought was like, did I miss a trick because obviously salaries are, are very important is there more that I could have done beforehand and and Maybe if, if I wanted to be really cynical about it, maybe, but actually it's only when you have a hundred percent of your time focused on something that, that you then actually put yourself in a situation to find the answers. So like, would, would I have crossed paths with Lee if I was still working at Aviva? Could have been, could, could have been, but, 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 but might not have been. Would I have worked out sort of the right path quicker? Maybe. I, we, we kind of went in full circle. We started off with this vision of creating an end-to-end investment platform. Then we found out quite how tough getting a license was. So went down the route of what, what's a business model that we could create as a kind of information aggregator, uh, kind of data aggregator type position to then plug into to licensed places. And then found out through, through the sort of the customer learning that people wanted a, a one-stop shop. 
And so then went full circle back to then actually kind of biting the bullet and working out how to get, get a license. Could I have done some work earlier to avoid that maybe, but uh, would it have led to something else? I don't know. So I don't know. For me, I feel like it's been a long journey. It definitely wasn't anywhere close to hundred percent right. But I think a lot of the journey isn't actually finding the problem, finding the answers because you've actually stumbled across the problems you didn't know existed. And you can kind of work everything out on a piece of paper theoretically, but it's actually kind of knuckling down and doing it that, that takes you to where you're at. You've hit it really on the head because you know you can plan all you want, but it's all about the execution. It is about you having that vision and you started with that vision and of what you wanted to do. You saw the need in the marketplace based upon the roles that you took in with Aviva and, and the firm. And from there, that's where you identified the need, you identified the things that are missing in the marketplace, especially in Asia. And then from there, now you're building out what you set as your vision by, you know, adapting. And that's what you've had to do. And you've, you've stumbled forward. And I'm very, very proud. I mean, the fact that you've made the journey, that you've just stuck with it, even though it took a longer time frame and the challenges of raising capital. And a lot of people undervalue or estimate the components of the people around you and, and the resources that you may need to build a successful firm. So is there any closing words for entrepreneurs around the world, Tim, that you'd like to share in terms of your startup journey? And we certainly want to invite you back as we hear about not your just your startup journey, but also now the growth portion of your journey. But any closing remarks for us this, uh, today? Yeah, I think kind of echoing what you said, the, the way that stumbling forward, I think is maybe maybe quite a good way of uh, describing describing the progress. And I, I don't know where this quote came from, but I quite often find myself repeating this phrase that like, if life, life would be boring if it was just straightforward. And so like, we very much have been stumbling, but I think we've been stumbling forwards. We've hit lots of challenges, but I think every stumble has led us forward rather than back. And, and that's tough, but equally the progress of doing that is, is, is really enjoyable. And when you get the right people to work with, then it, it makes those stumbles worthwhile. And we've got many more ahead of us. Uh, and so looking forward to those challenges. Well, that's great, guys. You know, we've had a lot of learning from Tim in terms of his journey from executive to startup entrepreneur and how he's been able to scale, what type of challenges he had to come through. But Tim, thank you very much for joining us here on Investorpreneur. And I look forward to following up your progress as we uh, see the development of your product launch here in Hong Kong. So thank you very much, Tim. Great. Thank you too. Have a great day, guys.